Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No BS Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Susie Teal, but first, let's cut the bullshit. Ever deal with someone who just doesn't want to make a decision? Drives me crazy. That's why I'm so interested in a series of experiments conducted by researchers at Northeastern and Indiana Universities in which participants could either accept or hand off responsibility for stuff like choosing hotels, meals, and other tasks for themselves or for someone else under a variety of conditions. Made me think of my family trying to decide where to go for dinner and how that becomes more difficult than some of the work tasks that I have. But the study showed that participants were more apt to delegate decisions when the consequences would impact other people and when all the options were unappealing. This thought process was driven by a desire to avoid blame or criticism and to not feel responsible if something bad happened to another person. The researchers found that when participants did delegate, they did so when they could defer to someone of equal or higher status, someone who would be deemed responsible for the outcome. In other words, they wanted to pass the buck to their boss or someone in authority. As a leader, leverage these results to help with your delegation. Reassure team members that they won't be blamed or criticized for a bad result. It's easier said than done because feedback is often perceived as criticism. Be clear about how the feedback is designed to help them grow personally and professionally and how we're trying to help the company or team to grow and learn from past experiences. And for those of you who just instinctively pass the buck or misperceive feedback as criticism, I won't say cut the bullshit because that might be misperceived as too harsh. I'll say, think back to this study the next time you're about to become defensive or run from a decision. The No BS Marketing Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nobs. Try a book like Modern Romance, an Investigation from the Hilarious Aziz Ansari. You can download it for free today. Go to audibletrial.com slash nobs. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nobs for your free audiobook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Our guest today is Susie Till, founder and owner of Aceta, which helps companies gain a competitive edge, acquire customers, grow sales, build teams, and become market leaders through the rapid development and implementation of successful people, product, marketing, sales, and business development strategies. Susie has spent her career helping companies grow profitably to become market leaders. She's an active advisor and mentor to the Pittsburgh community, especially to startups and women-owned businesses. And she teaches courses on digital marketing strategy and entrepreneurship for various organizations. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Dave. We're excited to have you, and I can't wait to hear a lot of your success stories because I know it'll help our listeners, young and old. So let's start by having you walk us through your educational background and your career journey. Certainly. Well, I'm a proud graduate of Indiana University of Pennsylvania, or IUP, for those who are listening locally, and uh, was a business major there through the Everly College of Business and Technology, and decided pretty early on, actually in my freshman year, that I wanted to focus on technology based upon the first class that I took. I was very excited about something that was so new and different uh, at that point in time, and that was really during the time when 
computing in business was really just starting to take off. And so I graduated with my degree in what was called MIS, Management Information Systems, and was very lucky to be chosen from about 150 applicants to be a management trainee at a large bank in the Pittsburgh region. And so I spent a year in their data processing department learning all about computers, how they work, how you support them, um, what you do when they don't work, and uh, continued working at that organization for about eight years and was really uh, given the opportunity to grow both in the department and also take a role involved with bringing new applications to market. Someone who had hired me at that bank called me to come work for a software company, and my career really took off at that point. So I left the bank and went to go work for a software company. And actually, I'll go back. I was four years at the bank, eight years at the software company. You know, when you get old, it kind of all runs together. And the software company that I started at was called Legion. It's no longer in existence. But when I started, it was about 200 employees and about $20 million in revenue. And when I left eight years later, it was a half a billion dollars in revenue, over 3,000 employees, and the eighth largest software company in the world. Wow. Now, that's serious growth. What was your role there? So I had 11 jobs in the eight years that I was there. <laughs> I started as a technical trainer. And then got into what I found with my passion, something called product management. And product management is all about figuring out how to bring new products to market, how they should be priced, who you're competing against, how they should be positioned, what new capabilities and features should be added and when. And I found that I was really good at that. And so I kind of grew up in product management at this company, Legion, and went from one product to running a product team, and then during the course of that time, becoming the general manager of about 35 software products, about a $220 million business. I had 200 people working for me in eight locations worldwide, and we were responsible for about 35 software products. And so my path really from Legion was to teach people about products to actually run a very large business unit. And then when I was in that role, I got a phone call from the CEO that asked me if I wanted to be the VP of HR, which was right out of the blue, like completely unexpected because I had no HR background. I had never, you know, indirectly I was doing HR every day with 200 employees, but not a traditional HR person. And he believed that people who understood the business were better HR managers and VPs. So I took that role on. And four months after I took the role on, it was announced that our company, which was public, was going to be acquired. And it was the largest acquisition in software history. So I spent nine months helping my company be acquired and then I left to go to, and I didn't, because I didn't want to be part of a very large organization, I left and went to a smaller software company that was in the Pittsburgh area. And we, the four years I was there, we grew from two to $15 million. And, and what was your role there? My role was a VP of marketing, and I was also a, an executive officer of the company. So my responsibility was both product management and marketing. So everything that had to do with building our brand, building our message, I was responsible for as well as the products themselves and you know when they came to market and what they would do and things of that nature. I also met my husband at that company, and we left to start a consulting firm. 
Hasida. And we left right around the time when the internet was really taking off and e-commerce companies were very popular. And we formed a relationship with a venture capital firm in Philadelphia and became executive in residence, helping them launch five e-commerce companies. And so I did that around the year 2000 or so, right before the market crashed and continued to do that as a consultant um, while my children were growing up. So I spent about nine years as a consultant working with the startups that you mentioned before, doing a lot of work in the Pittsburgh region, helping new companies bring products to market. And after that point, um, in 2009, one of my clients asked me to come on as the CEO and president. And I did that for two years, a company called Matrix Solutions, which is still in the Pittsburgh region, and really helped them transform their product and moving it from one uh, technology platform to the next and really position them for growth. During that time, my husband decided he wanted to start a technology company. So while I was at Matrix Solutions for two years, he was getting it off the ground. We had six children, so it was really important that I had an income because I was paying for college. And so after two years, when it looked like the company would be a little bit more solid, I left Matrix Solutions to go work with my husband at a company called Snap Retail. And we were there through the end of 2014. Um, we left to pursue other interests, and I've been consulting back to Aceta, my consulting company, Sixson. So I've had the opportunity to work as a single person, right, <laughs> to companies that have thousands and thousands of employees, but always focused on the same thing, which is growth. What do we need to do to gain and keep more customers? I always think about customer acquisition and retention. That's sort of, that's my thing. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to pause so we can absorb that. And I'm going to touch on the first one that I'm going to say. First, I have even more respect for you, but then I also kind of put you in the crazy bin. Six kids. I have three. How do you do that? <laughs> Uh, well, it, just, it was a second marriage for both of us. So we have very much yours, mine, and ours. Uh, my husband had three. I had two. And then we had one together. Beautiful. She's 15 now. And so, you know, that's honestly why I consulted. I think, you know, as, as a woman and, and a, a mother, you've got to find your best path. And the nine years that I consulted gave me the flexibility to manage six children across three families. Yeah, I share that uh, part of the reason that I started Mass Solutions was was that I wanted to have more balance. When I was in the C-suite at places like UPMC, my sons were being born, my first two, and I just saw that the expectation was 60, 70 hours in the city, limited flexibility. And so that's part of why I did too. So I respect you there. I want to go back and talk about a number of these career moves. So you're at Mellon Bank which mm -hmm. is a huge name in the Pittsburgh market. So you've, you've got a successful position, which a lot of people end up getting where they become satisfied and then regret it years later. So tell me about that first decision to leave banking and make the leap to software. Sure. So it, it was a difficult decision. Mellon Bank was a wonderful employer. Uh, again, they they look very different today, but this was over 25 years ago, and they they were very much a community bank and treated their employees very well. Great benefits, and I learned a lot. The ability to come out of college and go to a large, well-run, well-structured organization was amazing. I learned so much, but there was always a piece of me that I didn't know right, um, until later, that 
sort of craved a more of a uh, flexible environment, a more of a free form creative environment. And not to say that Mellon Bank wasn't, but it was over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. It had processes and procedures that were very well established. And I was very respectful of that, but I sort of felt a little bit like a fish out of water. And so when a former employee of Mellon Bank reached out to me and said, you know, you should come to this software company, you'd fit in great. I originally told him no. And it took him about a year to convince me to come over because there were so many good things at Mellon Bank. And it was a name that everybody had heard of. Like my parents could say, hey, my daughter works at Mellon Bank and, you know, relatives would understand that. But he kept at it. And I finally decided to do it because I felt like there would be that ability to to have that creative nature and to go from, I, I believe there were probably about fifteen to 20,000 employees at Mellon Bank at the time, and to go from an organization like that to about 200 employees, he finally convinced me to do that. And that's where it was a great move for me because I really learned a lot about entrepreneurship, although Sounds like 200 people today is a big company, right? When you think of startups. Um, and it definitely wasn't a startup, but it was a smaller company in my eyes, given what I've done before. And I really developed my love for technology marketing, uh, strategic marketing at, at Legion. And so that was, that was a difficult decision when I went there. No one had heard of the company. No one knew what they did or why I would leave Mellon Bank. My goodness, right? This is a premier, you know, company in the region and somebody premier to work for. Uh, but it really kind of set me on the trajectory for the type of work that I do today. When you made that first move, I don't know if you'll share this, but throughout my career, I made some moves and friends and family would give me kind of like a, huh? You're leaving a great job. And when you took that, you said this was like your dream job. It's awesome. It's established. You're getting accolades. You're making money. Why are you leaving that? And then a couple years later, why are you leaving that? So <laughs> did you get some of that, friends and family? I definitely got it when I left Mellon Bank, again, because it was a well-known, trusted brand, and it was a it was a great place to work. There was nothing negative about working there other than my desire to try something different that really wasn't in that environment. And so, yeah, I got a lot of that. And you know, I was at Legion for eight years. My parents never understood what I did in the whole eight years that I was there. <laughs> so, and they would just say, she works with computers. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> and that's all my aunts and uncles would say, yeah, Susie's doing well. She works with computers. <laughs> and that's about the level that they could comprehend what I did. So then though, you make another move that would be considered risky and aggressive and, and assertive. And, and I'm saying from a positive standpoint, but a lot of people would be afraid to make a move. You went from one discipline to another and you jumped to the HR. Mm-hmm. Well, that, like I said, was a call out of the blue. And sometimes those are the things that affect your life the most, right? Completely unexpected. And I think in retrospect, uh, I had been one of the senior people at Legion for quite some time. One of the senior people in the local, we were a large enough organization. Our headquarters was in Northern Virginia, but Pittsburgh was our single largest location in terms of number of employees. And I think the CEO, when he knew, which I didn't, that there was the likelihood that this acquisition was going to go through, I think he made a deliberate decision to put someone that was respected and trusted in HR, knowing how critical the HR function was during an acquisition. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I got a call out of the blue, right? <laughs> from from his, He was a relatively new CEO. He had only been there for about six months. And because there, there were 
five CEOs in the eight years that I was at Legion. So we went through tremendous change. So I had 11 jobs and there were five five CEOs in the eight years that I was there. I always tell people I got my MBA at Legion because I, I dealt with every possible situation that you could think of relative to a software company, growth challenges, um, integration challenges, acquisition challenges. And so what do you do when the CEO calls? You say, yes, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, why not? I'll try that. I've been doing this for seven years. Let me try that. Uh, so that's what I, I did. So, and, and how, how was that change initially when you were the VP of HR? Oh, it was very difficult because everyone in the department said, why did you get the job? You don't have any HR background. And I said, well, you're right. I don't have a degree in HR. But you know what? I have managed hundreds of people in my career, and I've recruited and figured out how to retain people. I've learned how to find smart, talented people and make them feel good about the company that they're working for and reward them. And those are all important things. And the administrative part is I can learn that, right? You know, how you pick benefits. I can learn that. It can't be that hard, right? How you put programs in place. And then I relied on them. I said, you're the experts in the areas that I'm not. So let's work together, right? Let's use your expertise combined with my expertise and knowledge of the company and how the company works, because that's the value that I could bring to the HR department. How we brought products to market, how we made sales, right? What's the heartbeat of the company that allowed it to exist? That's what I did for the seven years that I was there. And so we worked as a team. And I relied on them for their expertise in the HR administrative and policy side, and they relied on my expertise on the business side. That's Susie Teal. I'm Dave Mastovich, and you're listening to the No BS Marketing Show. Susie, talk to me about how you chose the name of your company. I want to make sure I pronounce it right in the future. How did you choose that name? What's it mean? And talk about the first days of that. So my company's named Acida, and we were brainstorming. And Acida has been through a lot of changes. We've had up to 11 employees, and then a lot of times our customers liked our employees, and so they would just go work for them, which was great because a lot of the employees were my friends, um, to now where I'm just a sole proprietor. Acida is really, well, we had to come up with a name during the internet boon when everybody was buying every <laughs> every dot-com name that you could think of. And so it was really challenging to find a name. But so we came up with the made-up name. We, we actually invented the name and it was really focused around acceleration and strategy. And that's really what our mission was, uh, was putting together a group of very talented, smart people who had been involved with growth in companies. And our, our goal is to accelerate your growth based upon what we've learned and all the lessons that we've learned through our own careers relative to how you acquire and keep customers. Uh, and so that was really a made-up board that was really focused around accelerating strategy, putting strategy to work was, was the theme of our company, is the theme of our company. Interesting stuff. So other than family, who are your mentors and how have they impacted you? I've been able to find mentors in every job, and it was very important for me to do that. I can clearly remember my mentors' names of every job that I've worked at. And I learned early on, and this is a lesson I always want to tell other people too, is that so many people today don't like to ask for help. 
right? And they see it as a sign of weakness. And I learned early on in my career that asking for help is actually a sign of strength because you're courageous enough to be able to ask somebody and say, I don't really understand this. Can you help me do that? And that's something that served me well in my career and something that I encourage other people to do. None of us know everything, no matter how old we are, right? And so there was always someone or a group of people at every job that I've had that would be very willing to be my mentor and that I could have a trusting relationship with and ask them for help. And often it was somebody that was either my manager or senior to me. But in some cases, they were people that were my peers as well, too, that had been at the company for longer than I have. But I think, you know, the lesson I learned early on is saying, gee, you know, I think it might work this way, but do you have any other idea of, of a way this might help? Um, or is there, should I be looking at this a different way? And um, so mentors have played a role even today. Uh, I look for mentors. And so. you like to give back and you serve as a mentor a lot. Talk about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do. I, um, I, I always tell people I kind of grew up in the golden age of software. And so I was able to really get the opportunity to learn from some of the most talented people in the software industry about what it takes to create a software product that can thrive, that can grow and be successful and acquire and keep a lot of customers. And so many companies in the Pittsburgh region, we have such a, a broad and diverse startup community. We're, you know, recognized as one of the best, um, up and coming now for several years. And I find that my expertise helps them save time and save money. Uh, so I do both volunteer work as well as work with startup companies as clients to help them figure out how to get that product to market and whether it's the right product and whether it's priced the right way and are they going through the right processes from a sales and marketing and product commercialization perspective to acquire and retain customers. You also were both proud IUP, Eberly College of Information, Business and Technology at IUP grads. And um, I know you are on the Business Advisory Council, which we both serve on. Talk a little bit about how you've uh, worked with IUP throughout your career. So in 2000 and 2005, I was nominated for the Distinguished Alumni Award. I had really gotten away from IUP. I was in a sorority while I was there and I would go back for homecoming, but then my sorority was disbanded. And so I didn't really have a lot of reason to go back. But my dear friend, Dave Mawinney, um, who actually runs the entrepreneurship program at Carnegie Mellon University, I was involved with IUP and nominated me for the Distinguished Alumni Award and also recommended me to be on the alumni board. And so right around that time, 2005, 2006 is when I became actively involved with IUP. So I served, I received the Distinguished Alumni Award, which was a great honor, uh, served for eight years on the alumni board, two years as president, and was very involved during the period where the residential halls or the dormitories were being ripped down and rebuilt. So during the time that I was there, I was at a lot of grand openings for business, you know, for the buildings and things like that, which was a great thing. As president, I was probably traveling to IUP at least once a month um, of the Alumni Association to be involved with activities. And my passion for IUP came back 
during that time. And I recognized how much progress the school had made and the quality of the students that were coming out of the school and the commitments that they make to help the students be successful and give them an environment that they can thrive in just got me hooked again. And so I became actively involved, even though I'm no longer on the alumni board. I'm ex officio president, so I get called back for all events and now have become very active with the business um, school as well, uh, the Everly Business School. So talk about a learning experience because this is the No Bullshit Marketing (laughs) Show. So we have to put you on the spot. Talk about a learning experience when maybe you or a BS employee, a tough boss, or your communication wasn't what it needed to be. Looking back, when do you think you might have been guilty of some BS? What did you learn from it that might help our listeners? So I go back to a, something that was probably at the time felt the most devastating in my career, which turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. And that was when I was at the software company Legion, and I was a rising star. There were several of us. I was in product management. I was doing well. But as I mentioned earlier, we had five CEOs over the eight years that I was there. And so there was always this churn of, well, there's somebody new coming on board, somebody new coming on board. And we were reorganizing all the time, too. So I felt very confident and solid in my reputation and my expertise and my contributions at that time. And a new management team came in as a result of an acquisition. A new CEO was put in place. And there were all these secret meetings that were going on. And I was called into an office one day and I said, and and at that time, I had been a very successful product manager. I had done a great job launching my product. My product was making millions of dollars. It was doing really well. I get called in and said, um, we're going to give your product to somebody else and we're trying to find a job for you. Huh. You can imagine how I felt at that point in time. Like my face just dropped. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And what it turned, it took me a while to figure this all out. What turned out was there was a massive change in the, that senior management team. Some senior managers were leaving. Um, new ones were being brought in. One of the senior managers was going to another company. He wanted me to go work for him. So he deliberately said negative things about me in an effort to get me to leave the company so that I could go work for him. And I had no idea that that was going on. And what I was told by the new management team was, we heard you're good, but some people weren't saying that you were really good. And we're not sure what's going on, but we think you're good and we think we want to keep you. So that was, man, that was really tough. And so they invented this job for me that was called Director of Strategic Programs. And it turns out that at was the best career move I could have ever had, even though, and I was very sad because my best friend at the company was another product manager. She was given my product to manage. And she's like, this is your product. I feel so bad. I can't believe that they're doing this. But as director of strategic programs, I got to work on a relationship with IBM the biggest software company and hardware company in the world at that time. And that was back when they were making a lot of hardware and software. And I got to work with the CEO of the company on a relationship with IBM. And he took my recommendation for the type of relationship that we should have. And so what was a horrible time in perceived in my life where I got booted out of something that I love to do, turned out to be good. But the lesson I learned, 
take control of your brand, take control of your identity. I just assumed that people knew that I was good. And so I didn't, I wasn't proactive during that transition period to reach out to anybody and say, hey, this is what I like to do. Hey, let's make sure that you let me do this job. I kind of let the people around me that I thought were taking care of me, take care of me, and they didn't, right? It turned out okay, but they didn't. Interesting story. And I cringed when you were telling me that because when I was in some of those bigger companies, the secret meetings and wondering why you weren't invited to a meeting, all that stuff brought back some memories. Yeah. Tough times. Yeah. Hear more of my interview with Susie Teal on part two of the No BS Marketing Show.